Let's open our Bibles to the book of Zechariah, chapter 1. We got through verse 17. We said there were ten night visions that Zechariah had. We've only covered the first one, the red horse rider among the myrtle trees. That was 1, chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. Through 17. So we left off with verse 18. And verse 18 and 19, we have the four horns. 20 and 21, we have the four carpenters or smiths. So we'll pick up in uh, chapter 1, verse 18 for our lesson tonight. And if we get into chapter 2, we'll give you the title there. In fact, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, you have the man with a measuring line or surveying line. So that's what you have in the second chapter. We'll give you the titles for these night visions. As we said, there were ten of them. And as we progress along in each and every one, I'll give you the title that we've uh, had for each one of them as we go along. I think I gave you all of them to start with, but we'll repeat them as we uh, progress in our teaching. So chapter 1, verse 18 of Zechariah. It says, Then lifted up, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? He answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So their relationship was a scattering of Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. We're going to discuss who they are in a little bit, but let's go ahead and read the next verses on down to verse 21. It says, And the Lord showed me four carpenters. This will be the next vision. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, these carpenters, are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah, to scatter it. So you have the answer to what's going to happen to those powers. Horns in the Bible speak of powers. And in this case, these four horns are Gentile nations, if you look at verse 18. Horns are symbolical of ruling and conquering power. And these would be the ruling Gentile nations. You find them spoken of, the same four world powers are spoken of in the book of Daniel. The powers as announced in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And four here speaks of their rule in every direction. The four corners of the earth, so to speak. In every direction, these Gentile powers have ruled and scattered Judah and uh, Israel and Jerusalem. And through the years, they've been scattered. From the Old Testament days, they were scattered then. But how much more have they been scattered in days beyond? There'll be a time of regathering. And even the Gentile nations will find out in our next vision in the second chapter where they will repent and turn to God and there will be praise among all nations, Jews and Gentiles. There certainly is not today, but there will be. And the same world powers are spoken of, as we said, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Four, they rule in every direction. When we think north, east, south, and west. I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts that you had to learn all the points of the compass. I think it started out north, north, northeast, northeast, east, northeast, and east. East, southeast, southeast, south, southeast, and south. South, southwest, southwest, west, southwest, and west. West, northwest, northwest, north, northwest, and north. 
By the way, that's been a long time. You know, I get something drilled in my mind and it just stays there. I don't know why. It's like the hard drive on a computer. And uh, anyway, that's what we had to learn. And I didn't learn it. That's been, I say a long time, that was in the 40s. In the 40s. But anyway, the four uh, corners of the earth, the four powers, and that ruled in every direction. In fact, if you drop down to chapter 2, verse 6, it says in the last part of the sixth verse, For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. So that indicates again the directions and the powers that we have. This same rule, we said, would be in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Turn to the second chapter of the book of Daniel, and you'll find in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We won't have time to read it all, but let's pick up with, the, with verse 36. <clears throat> it says, this is the dream, this is what Daniel says about the king's dream. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whithersoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. He speaks of the interpretation of the king's dream. And we'll just read through verse, let's see, on down to verse 40. It says, Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So now, uh, the first king, the Babylonian Empire, is identified as Nebuchadnezzar was the king, or this head of gold. speaks of Nebuchadnezzar. And then we come to verse 39. It says, After thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over the earth. So the next one, that would arise would be the Medo-Persian Empire. And that was the silver that was spoken of in his dream. And then the kingdom of brass would be the Greco- or Greco-Macedonian Empire. And then the verse 40 says, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as the iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And this is the Roman Empire. So these four kingdoms... Four empires. You come over to chapter 7 and you find much the same thing that's uh, spoken of. And this you could find that it would relate to the book of Revelation. Well, both of them do. But uh, in chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And the four beasts came out from the sea, diverse one from another, the sea of nations and the people. And it says the first was like a lion. And this represents the Babylonian empire. And if you notice verse 5, it says, And behold, another beast, the second like a bear. That's Medo-Persia again. And then down in verse 6, And I beheld, after this I beheld, and lo, another, another like a leopard. And this is the Greco-Macedonian Empire. And you come on down to verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And you come to the fact that it 
the Roman Empire, and it will speak in the book of Revelation of the revived Roman Empire. So all these things are prophetic and speak of the kingdoms that will arise that the Lord will destroy at His coming in the book of Revelation. But let's get back to Zechariah and we'll suffice to say that these four kingdoms that have scattered, these four horns of power had scattered Jerusalem, even the Old Testament, and Judah, Israel, and it tells of what they did. So, Zechariah 1, verse 18, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, behold, four horns. And we said these were symbolical of ruling and conquering power. And they're symbolical of Gentile nations. And in verse 19, it describes them. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what, the, what be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And we know that they were scattered in the Old Testament days. And these Gentile nations that we've already spoken of in the book of Daniel, chapters 2 and chapter 7, also predicting a future group of nations. If you want to turn to Revelation 17, let's read verse 3 and 12, and we might uh, even expound some at Revelation chapter 17. Let's read verse 3. And we won't have time to discuss all this in Revelation, but just point out that it has a prophetic future of what uh, Zechariah is saying. Verse 3, and then we'll read verse 12. It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of uh, names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads, heads of government, and ten horns, ten horns of power. Now, to interpret what this means, look at verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. And so when you come to the book of Revelation, and we'll expound that uh, when we get to it, uh, of these seven heads and ten horns. In fact, if you look at verse 9, it says, and here's the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. This uh, woman, Babylonian harlot, it tells us in verse 5 that she's uh, the mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And so when we get over there, we'll expound that. But I just wanted to show you that horns represent power and kings. So look at Revelation 17, verse 12. It says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are what? Ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. That represents the civil powers of the future that will be uh, dealt with. And then when you get to the religious power, or Babylon, when you think of the Babylon of the book of Revelation, you have the ecclesiastical Babylon, that's apostate Christendom, ecclesiastical. You have the commercial Babylon. It's a gigantic world system of business and trade, and that's allied with the apostate Christendom. They're allied with Christendom. And then you have the political power, and that's what we're talking about here in the 17th chapter, the federation, the federated head of the empire of the beast, and all these center in Rome during the Great Tribulation. And so you're going to find... What? Ecclesiastical Babylon. Babylon speaks of confusion and speaks of, of power. And this uh, woman that's described as the mother of harlots and abomin uh, 
and abominable abominations of the earth. That's verse uh, 5. But you find all of these. You have the seven heads or seven forms of government. And the ten horns are royal personages. Personages. And then the ecclesiastical beast is apostate Christendom. Commercial Babylon is a gigantic world system of business and trade allied with the apostate Christendom. And then you have the political Babylon, the federated head of the empire of the beast. And all these center in Rome during the Great Tribulation. And all these will meet their doom at the coming of of the Lord. And when we get to the book of Revelation, we will teach that uh, passage of Scripture. But let's turn back to Zechariah. So we see that what we see here in verse 18, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns, the four Gentile nations. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns, or powers, Gentile powers, which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then we come to the four carpenters in verse 20. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. That's the next one of the visions. By the way, in some some uh, studies, the uh, horns and the carpenters are made one vision instead of two. We've separated them here to show you that the uh, carpenters are to destroy the, the other uh, elements that we've been talking about. So, then in verse 21, Then said I, What come these to do? What are these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, that's referring to the carpenters, are come to fray them, and to cast out the horns of the Gentiles. Look at this. Which lifted up their horn, their power, over the land of Judah to scatter it. So, the horns of these Gentiles, the powers of these Gentiles will be cast down and cast out and scattered. And that's what's going to happen in a future time, as well as what happened in the Old Testament when God delivered His people out of Babylonian captivity. But then we come to chapter 2, if you will, verse 1. And this is the vision of the man with the measuring line or surveying line. And this is the next night, the the fourth night vision. Some have said the third because we've already mentioned how that it may be the third if you combine these two that we've just read. In fact, there's a point made about it being the third night vision that might be worthy of thought when we come to that. Because the number three is... uh, in the Word of God, stands for resurrection. So it might be that it would be wise to consider it the third instead of the fourth. But be that as it may, let's look at it as a a measuring rod. So, in this vision, we're going to see what Zechariah Zechariah sees. I lifted up mine eyes, as chapter 2, verse 1, as, uh, again, I lifted up my eyes again and looked, And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, this man, we can identify later on as we continue with our study, is the same uh, messianic angel that you find in the first chapter when we studied uh, the man that was uh, stood among the myrtle trees. So, it's the Messiah. And the man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? Zechariah says, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. 
to measure Jerusalem. Actually, to measure the ground for the temple and for the, the city. To measure Jerusalem. We find other scriptures that show a man with a measure in his hand. Or a surveying line in his hand. In this vision, Zechariah hears of a restoration and of a glory which will never uh, be fulfilled until Christ comes. It has never yet been fulfilled. When we see this measuring rod, or measuring line, we call it, surveying line in his hand, it's symbolical of preparation for rebuilding. Remember that they, both uh, Haggai and Zechariah were encouraged to, to uh, encourage the people to rebuild the temple in the Old Testament. The very first thing you do before you uh, really build anything is get get the foundation measured out what all is going to take place. If you're going to build on the foundation, you want to make sure that you check out the measurements. And this was a surveying line, a measuring line. We find that there's a man in the New Testament in the book of Revelation that will be measuring. If you turn to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, and there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, this is verse 1, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So he was told to rise and measure. We find over in the book of Revelation chapter 21 that the measurement of the city is given. Revelation chapter 21. And let's look at verse 15 and 16. It says, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length of it as large as the breadth. And he measured the city, which with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Twelve thousand furlongs. That's fifteen hundred miles. Fifteen hundred miles. This city, the new Jerusalem. The foundations are spoken of uh, before that, but the if you'll notice that he measured this city that lies four squares, is a perfect cube. It was 1,500 miles in every direction. We speak of the city that lies four square. They say from here to Los Angeles, pretty good sized cube, isn't it? Someone says, "Will there be enough? Will it be big enough for all the people of God?" Certainly will. Be big enough and secure enough. We read of the walls of the city too. Someone said, well, there's so many people in the world and through the ages, billions, millions and billions of people. But you know, you look back to Noah's ark and there was only eight people in that ark. But what? It was big enough for everyone that came in, right? It was big enough for everyone that came in. Noah and his wife and three sons and and their wives. And the Bible tells us that the invitation was given for everyone to come in. So however big it is, it will be big enough for all of us. And as Brother Mel saying, what a glorious day that will be. And we could say some more about Revelation, but let's get back here to, uh, to Zechariah. So it said, I lifted up mine eyes again, verse 1, and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, and for the multitude of men 
and cattle therein. You know, they had towns with walls to protect them. But here is towns without walls. This means that they'll no more be confined to limits. It'll be without limits. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall. God's going to be the wall. If they needed walls for protection, He would be the wall. I will be unto thee a wall. There's scriptures that tell us that He will be a wall of protection for His people. And He says a wall of fire round about. The angels themselves are uh, flames of fire to protect us. But here, he, the Lord Himself is going to be a wall of fire round about. And will be the glory in the midst of her. The glory in the midst of her. Look in Revelation 21 and verse 23. 21 and verse 23, I believe it is. It says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of, the, of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. He said it would be the glory in the midst of her. That's going to be in the future when this fulfillment. You know, there's so many things that Zechariah speaks of that cannot possibly be related completely to the Old Testament. And be completely fulfilled. And in this vision, Zechariah hears of a restoration and a glory which has never yet been fulfilled in the history of God's people. It's not fulfilled to this day and never will until Jesus comes in power and great glory. And this vision of restoration comes after the enemies of Israel are cast down. In other words, after the Lord has come. And it will not come until then. And he says in verse 6, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. There's a lot of God's people still in the land of the north. We might uh, equate that to Russia, where many uh, have come from in these last days and will finally come completely. And he says, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad, I have spread you abroad, as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord, from one end of heaven to the other. All parts are winds of the earth, all quarters of the earth. He says, I've scattered you and I have power to bring you back and protect you from all things. Then when you get to verse 7, it says, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. We know that historically they were to be delivered from the uh, clutches of Babylon. From living among the Babylonian people and their heathen idolatry. They were to deliver themselves from idolatry. And by the way, does, that not only pertains to them as uh, to the people of God as old, but to Christendom today and you and I as Christians on the, in the avenue of separation from evil and from idolatry. We're called upon to come out what from among them and be you separate. So we're to deliver ourselves too. If you want to get to the practical lesson of some of these things. Just as God promised to help them and protect them, He's promised to help and protect us. But He tells us, you know, Paul said, Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. And we need to deliver ourselves from the idolatry and the sinfulness of this world. And God's people are called upon to be a separated people and to live for Him. Sometimes we don't see ourselves in that light. There's very few preachers even mention separation anymore. But the Bible teaches it, doesn't it? 
It says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. It tells us not only how to serve, but how to separate ourselves. If you read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, listen, <clears throat> therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable what? service. All right, what about separation? The next verse, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And uh, Peter tells us, look in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to notice uh, verse 14. It says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You see? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves, conforming yourselves, like Paul said in Romans 12:2, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation. That means your walk of life. And we're called upon. Both Paul and Peter encourage us in that direction. Back in Zechariah now. So God says to his people, Ho, come forth, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. And flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven. God uh, used the wicked nations to scatter them abroad. He says, I have spread you abroad. But he says, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Come out from that idolatry. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. He was sent to the nations that spoiled him. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. The same thing that was said about Israel could be said about you and I as Christians. The pupil of the eye. The most, in, most sensitive part of the organ of vision. Look in Deuteronomy 32 verse 10. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10. Well, let's read verse 9 and 10. Well, let's read verse 8, 9, and 10. Because I want to get all this. It's all so connected. When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Now, what happened? It says, He found him in a desert land and in the waste and howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. Look, he kept him as the apple of his eye. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up up his nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. Beareth them on her wings. That's another important point. You could go on and on and read that. But back in Zechariah, God protects you and I as the most sensitive part of our being, as a pupil of our eye. That's how precious you and I are in the sight of God. The Bible teaches that God's people are divinely protected. You and I are divinely protected. Everyone has put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've been born again as a child of God. You know, the Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. We need to realize, sometimes we need to be reminded and realize how important we are really to the Lord. 
that He really does care for us. A lot of times we think, well, you know, uh, it's a dry and desert place and wilderness that we're in. But uh, He says that He'll... He kept us in the howling wilderness, We the context of that. He found us in the howling wilderness like He did Israel of old. And He didn't choose them because they were greatest among nations or more powerful or more acceptable. Just like He didn't choose you and I because we were so good. He chose us because we were sinners and needed to be saved by grace. And the Bible says we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. And it speaks of the fact that, that we... Uh, accept Christ as our Savior, and then He is our Keeper. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The next verse, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, Reserved in heaven for you. And then it says, Who are what? Kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so he's the one that is the keeper of you and I as well as he keeps all that are under his power and control and that he has a purpose for. Now, look at this. Uh, when we come to verse 10, let's, we'll try to finish this chapter in just three more verses. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. I will dwell in the midst of thee. At Christ's coming, He's going to dwell in the midst of His people. We find in 1 Kings 4, verse 25. Look at 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25. This is a good verse to look at. And He speaks of the peace that will be enjoyed in the future. They don't enjoy it now. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. That days of peace in the days of Solomon, when they speak every man his vine and every man his fig tree, it speaks of peace and prosperity, comfort, ease, security. Second Kings, look at Second Kings chapter 18 and verse 20. I think it's verse 21. Second Kings chapter 18. Is it 21? 21. No, it's maybe 31. Let's see. 31. I had it wrong. I couldn't read my own writing. It says, and I know you couldn't. It says in verse 31, Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. Cistern. It will all be a blessed time, and the peace and enjoyment that we can look forward to. We studied in Micah chapter 4, one of the minor prophets. Remember Jonah, Micah, chapter 4 and verse 4. Look what it says here. It prophesies of this very thing in Micah when he prophesies of the time of joy and peace when they, after they beat their spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's verse 3. But look at verse 4. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree 
and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Look at that. They shall learn of war no more anymore. Will not that be a blessed time? We have our institutions of learning how to fight and to kill, and still they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Won't need them. All relates back to that time that Brother Mel was thinking about earlier tonight. Right? And the only time that that peace will be completely realized will be what Zechariah's predicting here of a time when there will be that kind of a joy and glory at the coming of Christ. Because Israel has never known that. Judah has never known that. Nations have never known that. And it goes ahead. Chapter 2, back in Zechariah. Hold your place where we're studying. And we're going to find that the converted Gentile nations. It says in verse 11, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord. Many nations in that day. And shall be my people. You see, you and I are Gentiles. Gentile nations. But we'll be joined. Of course, we know Christians are today, but many nations in that future time will be converted. And shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. And then the many nations will be joined along with them. And in verse 13, it says, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. When that time comes, we'll know that the only thing that will make it happen is the Lord ruling over all the earth instead of man ruling, instead of Gentile powers ruling. Instead of wicked nations ruling. And there will come to an end all of this wickedness. And all of the killing. And all of the fighting. And there will be the unity in the world. It says the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth. As the waters cover the sea. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. We thank you for your patience and kind attention. We'll pick up with the third chapter. In our next lesson, the next vision, we'll list it number five. It will be Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord.